Welcome to high school, Angus. Good thing you're leaving. Still here, asshole! You push me down and I'll get right back up again! 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 And again! Welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. I am David, and this time we've got a friend on the show. It's another interview. Uh, this time we're actually chatting with Nick Diener, formerly of the Swellers. Uh, he was the guy behind, he was, he was your lead vocalist of the Swellers, played guitar in the Swellers. Uh, this comes out, of course, of the uh, podcast that we just released, the episode we just released where we talked about their album, Good For Me. Before we get into the interview... I want to share our social media stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Growing Punk Pod, and you can find us on Instagram at Growing Up Punk, and uh, you'll find our links to our personal social media accounts there as well. So, yes, we're going to chat. I'm going to chat with Nick Diener of The Swellers, specifically about the song The Best I Ever Had. This is kind of a different interview from what you typically hear on the show. We're not going to cover you know, the, the entire lifespan sort of deal of a band. We're going to talk specifically about the story behind one song. So we're going to do that in a moment. But first, let's, uh, let's listen to the song. It's The Best I Ever Had by The Swellers. It was a young and angry summer A song that changed my mind I heard it all Podcasters do right, right. I know they're just they're just rolling from the beginning. It's like oh, are from we the recording. Beginning. It's like yeah. oh yeah, we're yeah, always yeah. recording, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's the best way to do it. Then you, you, the the number of gems that you get with just people acting stupid when they think they're just checking their mics when you're actually recording is fantastic. Oh yeah, that, that, that's a really good skill to like develop yeah. in the studio is like tricking people. It's like this isn't yeah. the real one. Just do whatever, and then it's like. <laughs> 
got you. I got, got I got you. that magic take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, okay, well, I thought this would be fun. Uh, so I was just editing. We just recorded an episode the other day where we talked about uh, specifically um, the album More Betterness by No Use for a Name, which is why uh, Aaron originally reached out to you to kind of get some comments on that. Because I guess he had heard somewhere that you guys were heavily influenced by No Use for a Name, and that's why then your guys' uh, album kind of got brought into this to discuss as well. So, um, and as I was editing the episode, I was there's, there's a spot in the episode where we talk specifically um, about the song, The Best I Ever Had. And there were just some things about this song. I was like, oh man, if only I could find answers on this. Uh, <laughs> right. So I was like, why not just reach out and, and see if we can, we can just get some answers on it. So I don't know if you're down to chat for a little bit about kind of like you know, working the way through the song because it it tells a pretty pretty concise story, and I just I, I guess I just wanted to know some of these things, like if they're actually you know autobiographical from your life, or you know if it was more just kind of trying to tell a story in a song for the sake of telling a story. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think for that song, it was definitely a mix of both. Yeah. And what's weird is when people you know ask like the the main influence for that song, whether it's yeah. a band or the way I tell the story, it honestly came from Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell 2. <laughs> so, and I know that sounds really strange, but there was a song called uh, Objects in the Rearview Mirror May Appear Closer Than They Are. Right. And it's basically a three part, almost, I mean, a lot of Meatloaf stuff was, you know, it's written by Jim Steinman and it has a very like musical yeah. sort of like first act, second act. Yeah. And and that one was about like his childhood friend that died and then the second one was about like his abusive father and then the third verse was about like the the girl who got away that he never right. saw again. Right. And I was like, man, that is so cool. And the original version of the song, the best I ever had had no big chorus. And okay. it kind of just had like a segue hook into the next like sure. verse or whatever. Yeah. And so when we brought that song to Bill Stevenson and Jason Livermore at the Blasting Room, who yeah. uh, produced and engineered it, uh, they were just like, this is the catchiest song on the record, but there is no actual chorus. Yeah. You you need a chorus. And I was like, well, I mean, I kind of have a chorus, but I didn't really want to use it, you know, just to kind of make the, and they're like, no, dude, like, what do you have? So I, you know, took five minutes and the chorus that it is today, you know, I just kind of played it and they were like, yeah, a hundred percent put that in the song. Now it's right. a song. Now it's your single. Now it's the best song on the record. And I was just like, all right, well, that's cool. <laughs> I guess, you know, like if, you know, the, the dudes who produced all those great records over the years are saying this yeah. is the way, like, thanks for liking my song. That makes me stoked. I like it either yeah. way. So yeah, the first verse, it's kind of, uh, you know, as you can tell, it's like the, the journey of kind of discovering music and that yeah. it really has that profound effect on you. And then, you know, it moves into the second verse of like, okay, now I'm going to make this my life. Like I realize right. I, I can do that. Um, and then, you know, the third verse, it's, it's kind of funny. It's, it's kind of about being tired and done okay. and just kind of reflecting and st- pretty much jack straight from that meatloaf song like it's a, it's about that girl who lived down the street that taught you everything yeah. and yeah. uh and it's just kind of like 
it, it almost doesn't have that much to do with the rest of the song, but it's kind of just, it ties in with the whole theme of the best I ever had. Like maybe it's not the best music you ever heard or the best time you ever had, but you know, it was like the best relationship, the best feeling that you yeah. ever had, you know, so it's, it kind of, uh, I wanted to do that sort of three act sort of deal. And well, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what it is yeah. now. And which is, which is great because it's, it is when, as soon as you mention kind of like the meatloaf inspiration, I'm like, okay, yeah, like it's clearly written in, in three acts. And, uh, so I, I guess just kind of some of the questions, like I, when I was discussing this song, so first and foremost, when I was discussing it with Aaron, who's on the show, um, you know, I'd mentioned, oh, it's, this song is totally like a coming of age tale within a song. And so, you know, it reminds me of at different points, just even like some of my favorite, you know, coming of age movies, as it were, that, you know, watching when you're a teenager growing up, whatever, when they're super influential on you. And, uh, and then I shared it with a friend, which is funny because like the song is a number of years old now, right? Like, it's not like it's a, it's a new song, but, um, when we came back to this record to talk about it and, and this song came on, I was immediately taken back to a, the first time I heard the song being like, oh, right, this song absolutely destroys like it is so good <laughs> thank you and then yeah and then just like through you know as as the song goes just the, as you tell the story kind of being like i've i can place myself in every one of those you know sort of situations and so i i shared it with uh with another friend who he's typically very much like uh you know when people kind of get stuck and they just listen to the music that they listened to when they were you know teenagers or whatever and that's you know they're not really much about experiencing new music oh well, yeah I sent that's, him, that's kind of me yeah, except, well, for, and, except for the new music that I go for is just super right. weird. But no, yeah, I totally right. relate to that, though. I get I get yeah. stuck, totally. And, and I mean, that's kind of the premise of this podcast in general, is we talk about, you know, records that, that influence, influenced us when we were growing up that we absolutely loved. But when I shared this song with my buddy, he was like, damn, like instantly he fell in love with it. Because I think you do, I mean, A, you're a band that kind of, I, or were a band, I feel on this record specifically anyway, that wore kind of your influences on your sleeve, um, but did it in sort of your own way, you know, not to be like a band that's going like, oh, I want to write, you know, now a Blink-182 song, and now I want to write a, a, you know, a No Use for a Name song. Instead, you just kind of like molded all of your influences. So um, in kind of into your own sound. But I thought it'd be fun if we kind of went through the song and there's there's kind of some specific reference points that I, I wanted to bring up and find out what they are specifically yeah, first sure. and f- lay it on me yeah so <laughs> first and foremost the very first two lines of the song or i guess maybe three lines are are, are speaking about a song and it's it comes across as a song in particular is are you writing about a song there that kind of like opened your eyes to the world of music or is it more just kind of a general statement about discovering music uh, i think that might have been more of like a general kind of thing uh, it's very possible though that it could like because at the time I mean it was I think it was 2010 when I wrote the song right and I don't remember writing it like it was one of those ones that just kind of I just kind of wrote 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 and you know I changed a yeah. couple lyrics down the road but it's always I've always been the kind of lyricist where I try to leave things a little bit open ended um, and yeah. honestly this song. I think, you know, the kind of like the first or second verse, it, they might be the most specific lyrics that I've actually right. ever written, which is, yeah. uh, you know, saying like different dates and different locations yeah. and things like that. But yeah, yeah, I, I want to say it, 
it was probably just something that I heard on the radio or saw on MTV when I was like, you know, five years old. Because I remember right. being five or six and just being like, oh man, this this music thing is really powerful. This is taking a hold of me. So yeah, it kind of has to do with that time. So, okay. Um, so I guess the question would be, uh, like how, how old are you? When were you born? <laughs> uh, I was born in 87. 87. So okay. So 30, going to be 33 yeah. at the end of February. Yeah. Okay. So just you're a couple years younger than me. I just wanted to kind of see where, where this kind of falls in sort of what I was growing up. So we're pretty, pretty close. I'm, yeah. And I also got started super early. Yeah. So, well, when you um, say, yeah. Yeah. So, you so know, when I, you s- like when I said bad out of hell too, that was yeah. literally the first CD that I bought with my own money. And I was <laughs> six. That's so, impressive. Yeah, you know, I saved up my allowance and my parents yeah. were like, all right, man, if you get 60 bucks, you can get a Super Nintendo game at the yeah. grocery store. And I was like, yeah, I got 12. I want to go <laughs> to that, you know, whatever. It was yeah. like a Red Roof record store, you know, some one-off okay. place. And I went up to the guy. I still remember what he looked like. And I was like, I need that meatloaf CD. And he was like, what? <laughs> what? And And yep. And that was like... That was rock and roll to me. And then, you know, yeah. soon after that, that's when I kind of got into Nirvana and a lot of the right. other kind of rock and, and roll that weren't 12 minute long songs. Yeah. Sure, sure. And so, I mean, maybe you can't do this, but as I say, let's, if you were to pick one song that you think maybe you're possibly writing about in this very first line or two of the song. Uh, could you go back and be like, sure, it was it was this song? Like, because when I hear it, my my initial interpretation, and maybe because of the lyrics that come later in the song or in the verse, I was like, oh, is he is he talking about a song like "Smells Like Teen Spirit" sort of vibe here, where it's like there was something that absolutely opened your eyes? So if you had to pick a song, do you think you right. could do that that you heard on the radio? Uh, what's so funny is this one also is going to come out of left field, but there's a band called Love Spit Love. And okay. it was like the singer of the psychedelic furs. He kind of like started like a new thing in the 90s. And I think the only song that they really had that got big was called Am I Wrong? I talk too much to myself And I turn my back on my faith It's like glass when we break I wish no one in my place And I've seen you don't need this it on the radio once the melody was just like perfect i loved the song it was emotional i was probably like maybe seven yeah seven or eight when i heard that and i remember just being like damn that's that hit me that was incredible i didn't know the name of the song i didn't know the name of the band or anything you know in yeah. the internet wasn't really a thing sure so years went by which probably seemed like decades you know when you're younger that the time really stretches. So it's probably like three years later. I heard the song again on the radio, like years later, and I had like given up. I was like, I'm never going to hear that song again. <laughs> Boom. I heard it and I like freaked out and I told everybody in the car. I was like a little kid and I was like, everybody shut 
up. I need to listen to these <laughs> words because I need to type this into the computer and find yeah. out what this is. So I did. And yeah, it was a song, Am I Wrong by Love Spit Love. And what's really weird is that I had rented that movie Angus like a thousand okay. times. Yeah. And it's the song in the very opening sequence of that movie. Oh, amazing. But I wasn't paying attention. I might have even fast forwarded the intro because that's like what oh. you did when you were little. Um, but straight up, like, and also that version of the song has like this marching band going on in the background. It's like a high school right. football game, but it sounds awesome. Really great arrangement. So that one, I just remember there's a couple songs where like I was on a journey to find out what they were. And another one, it's so strange. It's from that movie, Angus. And it was yeah. the song J.A.R. by Green Day. And you know how they had listening stations for CDs back yeah, in the day? Yeah, yeah. I listened to every single Green Day CD I could, like song by song by song. And back then, you know, there's probably only like four, uh, right. even like the really old ones. And I didn't understand that some things were like soundtrack only. Sure. So yeah, yeah. I was destined to never find it. And then one day, yeah, internet pops up. I look up that soundtrack, there it is, and I was like, oh my God, after all these years, you know, it, I could have just bought the soundtrack and had two of my, you know, favorite songs of all time. Not to mention, yeah. you know, there's a bunch of other insanely good songs on the Angus soundtrack. Like, I think it's one of the best compilations just ever. I'm going to have me. to look it up. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It has like Weezer, I, it has the Muffs. Um, oh man. Yeah. There's something to do with like the producer of that movie. Might have been... I don't know why the name Rob Cavallo is coming to mind, but it's like, uh, yeah, he was like a producer who uh, worked with all those like kind of post-punk, punk indie bands in the 90s. Right. So he was working on the movie. So he was also yeah. like, cool, I'm putting all these great bands on the soundtrack. So yeah, yeah. it's kind yeah, of I'm a just, nice little hack. When you, Yeah, when you mentioned Angus, I had to look it up. So um, and seeing the artwork, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I don't know if I ever saw this movie. I definitely recognize... Oh, it's, uh, like it's like the, the most poster. 90s, like, yeah. coming of age. I'm going to And I can relate to it. It's about, like, the fat kid who doesn't fit in. And I, <laughs> I was I was a chubby kid growing up, you know, so I was Fair. just like, man, Angus is me. Like, yeah. screw all these jocks, man. You know, <laughs> James yeah. Vanderbeek yeah. was the main, like, bad guy. <laughs> so, Oh, sick. Yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm going to have to see if it's streaming anywhere, find it. But, um, so, which is interesting. Okay, so when I looked that up, I noticed it came out in 95, which is fair because that lands smack dab in the middle of a couple of the years that you mentioned in the song. Oh, for um, sure. So let's talk about I my interpretation of the line, I remember April 94, 
is tied into later in the verse where you say, or helped Seattle cry. I'm assuming there you're talking about the passing of Kurt Cobain. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got into Nirvana, I think in April or March of 94. And then like I turned on the TV and it was like Kurt Cobain's dead. And I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Which was really weird for me as a little kid because I'm just like, how can this guy die just after I, you know, it was weird because you don't understand death and you don't understand just kind of addiction or suicide or anything like that. So it's just like, oh yeah, that guy that you like, that rock star, that song. Yeah. Yeah. Done. No more from that guy ever again. And I just remember I didn't take it hard at all. I was just so confused. Um, But it almost became cooler to like Nirvana because I'm just like, that was, which is weird to say, you know, I was six or something and I was digging Nirvana while Kurt Cobain was still alive. And that was like a super weird uh, thing that just like carried over, I guess. Yeah. And it's it's so weird for me to think about um, even kind of liking Nirvana at that age. Like not so because I I mean, I, I again, Nirvana was kind of one of those first bands that I can remember liking and you know there's there was like a second cousin or whatever that I would see every couple summers when I'd go spend you know a month at my grandparents house on the east coast and whatever and he loved Nirvana that's how I heard about them we'd go into his grandma's house and like be watching um he had like a live Nirvana VHS and whatever and I look oh, back nice. yeah and I look back on Nirvana now and I lo- like still really love and appreciate everything that they did but I go how did I get into this as a kid you know, and know. then and then it took me, you know, several years after that to really like fall in love with just like punk as a genre. And obviously, I mean, it, it's got some differences from punk rock, but also some very real similarities and roots. Uh, and just go, how did like where where was I seeing this? He like what was I seeing here that took me so long to kind of get into it oh, on, a, for on sure. a grander scope? But I, I didn't even realize until my later years that. Nirvana was essentially a punk band like they got the name grunge or whatever but like I think as a kid I was like man these guys look kind of dirty and they're acting like they don't care and they are just yelling and smashing (laughs) their stuff I mean I think it was the 1993 uh, MTV video music awards they played lithium yeah and I mean to this day I think that's what made me become a musician like that performance and Kurt well, Cobain had a white Stratocaster that he smashed. He never played yeah. it before that or again, really. But to me, like that was his guitar. Uh, yeah. You know, just all that crazy stuff went down. And I was like, and also the song Lithium just became my favorite song. Probably, probably it's in my top five today. some things when they hit you it's like okay that's just gonna stay with me i'm not gonna outgrow that that was that place in time that you can't run away from yeah um was that the that mtv awards performance was that the one where they started playing rape me and oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and then they they had some beef with axel rose going on so at the end that's right dave Grohl screaming hi axel into the mic and like yeah yeah and i was just like man that is so fun i'm sure at the time they were probably a little bit rattled and like upset and pissy but like looking back at that like what a 
what a cool moment, you know, just to make it more than playing the song. So yeah, yeah it's like they they were a punk band for sure. For sure, I, I miss the days when you know the MTV Video Music Awards or whatever were were a thing. Because just the other day, I was on YouTube watching footage of uh, was it Tim Comerford of Rage Against the Machine when oh, he like yeah. he like climbed the uh, like the set or whatever when Limp Bizkit won some award and he was like making a scene. I was like, man. I miss yep. those days, but <laughs> yeah, and that you um, know that wasn't planned, and that was yeah, it was dangerous. People were upset, and I was just like, yeah. "Oh, that's so cool." <laughs> I, I love that. that his well, and his whole idea when he got up there was he wanted to like bring it down. And he's like, "Oh, I can't, I can't actually bring this down. It's too well. <laughs> now, what do I do?" <laughs> and if, if he would have brought that down, he would have went down with it, and that would oh been for sure bad. Yeah. But oh so, man. Yeah. I'm glad that it kind of just stopped, but yeah, <laughs> you got rage <laughs> back, fair. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so September '96. The uh, what I kind of took from this was maybe, and maybe this is entirely wrong, but referencing the release of Pinkerton. I think exactly. Yep. Oh man. <laughs> Which is awesome because I mean, there's a song later on the album. Um, I believe it's the last song on the album that it's. I'm like, dude, this could be on Pinkerton. Like, oh yeah, which the, is that song warming up? I mean, yeah, it's, it's essentially one of my biggest musical influences. You know, outside we mentioned No Use for a Name, but outside of No yeah. Use, it was Weezer. It was the B sides, right. uh, Blue Album and Pinkerton for sure. But like yeah. the B sides, kind of between Blue and Pink, okay, are just like. You know the synthy sounds the fuzzed out guitars right. things yeah. like that it's those are my absolute favorite sounds of all yeah. time and what's yeah. funny it's like it's weird that i mentioned september 96 i think i just yeah. did it to put it in the song it but fit? you know yeah yeah at the time i just didn't really listen to pinkerton sure uh, you know blue album was a thing and i was like this rules pinkerton came out and i think like a lot of people i had to revisit yeah. it later yeah um, you know, for me at first, I was like, okay, this one's not as good. I'm just going to listen to Blue. Like, I didn't even right. give it much of a chance. And then uh, I kind of widened my musical horizons a little bit. And I was like, oh, I get this record now. You know? Yeah. So, yeah that's, yeah, that's where that came from. Which is great. Because, I mean, that is, that's definitely one of those records where, in, in a similar way, where, I mean, I would have known, obviously, like Buddy Holly and... Uh, yeah. Say It Ain't So and Sweater Song and stuff off the Blue Album. I knew the Blue Album fairly, fairly well. I never owned that one, I don't believe. But right. I had friends that had it, right? And then Pinkerton was definitely like a, a years later sort of thing that I had to get into it. I think maybe when Green Album came out, um, I had a friend 
who actually was the same friend I shared best I ever had with. And he was like, dude, this is amazing. Um, where he was a huge Weezer fan. And he was like, dude, if you like green album is okay, you gotta go listen to Pinkerton. And I'm like, what? So I went and checked it out. And everything on that record blows my mind. Like, yeah, his lyrically, his songwriting is a lot more raw, but then like the production, the sound of the drums on that record. Like, yeah. Like it sounds oh, so man. bad that it's good where it's like, yes. it's like, oh man, like it's, it's like when you, you get that thing where you're so raw without yeah. really forcefully trying to make it raw. Yeah. I hear a lot of records now where they're like, oh, it's raw, it's live, it's unhinged. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you kind of just made everything sound worse on purpose. But like yeah, yeah with Pinkerton, it's just kind of like this, it sounds like a band in a room, you know, just yeah. like really and getting gnarly with feedback and all that. Yeah. And like th- the drum sound on that record is what specifically stands out to me. And there's only a few records that come to mind when I think of, oh man, the sound of the drums on that record. Uh, one of which is actually In Utero by Nirvana. That was that was their big influence for Pinkerton, apparently. Which I was wondering, yeah. Steve Albini's work on uh, In Utero, they were like, drums need to sound big and roomy and boomy. Yeah, which yeah. Is, they sound so badass. And then actually speaking of like influencing, I don't know if you're ever into the band Pedro the Lion. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, the record Control, Dave Bazan said on that, he's like, I basically just want it to sound like they transplanted the drums from Pinkerton onto this record. <laughs> the drum sound is just so badass it sounds so good so uh, yeah. that's that's awesome that that was that was the reference i was like looking i'm like okay what happened september 96 i mean obviously it could have been a personal story that you're referring to or it could have just been to fit the song or and pinkerton came out and i was like okay yeah i could see it so what about uh the line every day of 99 what i took from that was just like damn there's a lot of good albums that came out in 99 <laughs> yeah that's exactly it and also just <laughs> i was super immersed in playing guitar and my brother was playing drums uh we'd been playing together for like two years so not only were we you know big fans of all this music at the time but we were just playing a lot so it was just like man 1999 you know the whole y2k thing i just remember exactly where i was and how i felt and that was just that was probably the most excited i've ever been right about music and just like oh this this can actually be a thing so do you have um some some favorites that you that immediately make you think of 1999 um was more betterness in 99 yeah Yeah, i'll say more betterness was which is what a nice tie on the podcast yeah Yeah, i was like and by the way more betterness came out in 99 and i think something to write home about by the get up kids i'm it's funny because i didn't yeah i didn't mention that i'm looking at a list right now that's the best punk albums of 99 and that's that was number five according to this list. And what a what oh a right was, like ninety nine is a ridiculous year. Like I mean, yeah, it was um, kind of like stupid how many 
great yeah, records like, came out that year. A lot of people, you know, they talk about 1994 being like the big punk rock one, you know, right. where a lot of it broke mainstream. And I mean, yeah, there were a ton of great records in 94. Yeah. But yeah, 99 was just also this like, not only with punk rock, but just kind of like those kind of emo indie bands. Yeah. Uh, well, cause, and I don't know if a... I don't know if Clarity by Jimmy World came out. <laughs> that's amazing because I'm, I'm looking at this list and as you say these records, that's what Oh, I'm nice. Looking. So, yes, Jimmy World yeah. Clarity. Yeah, like in, incredible, you know, just. Yeah. So, yeah, there's all kinds of great records that came out. And then, and yeah, I think it might have been in 2000 when a couple other great ones came out. Like, I mean, I love Rancid 2000 and uh, Mill and Colin, Pennybridge Pioneers. Uh, yeah. Those were like two of my favorites. I think there was like a Screeching Weasel record that came out that year that yeah. I loved. So yeah, like going into 2000, still they were, to me, there was just, a, I must have just been in my prime for going yeah. to the record store and picking up, you know, CDs and ordering stuff sure. off of uh, interpunk.com. That was like... Classic, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like, you know, for Christmas, my mom would be like, what do you want? And I'm just like, listen, just give me like a hundred bucks and I'm just going to buy Spend stuff on online. Music. And she'd yeah. be like, they're going to steal your identity. We never buy stuff <laughs> online, you know, like whatever it was uh, back then. I love it. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's, a, uh, I, I'm sure I still have um, my grandparents and my parents, I think are fine. My grandparents, I'm sure are still like, they're just going to steal your, that's not safe. Oh yeah. yeah to, the, to this day, like we'll get phone calls every now and then they'll be like, watch out. It's a scam. It's like, <laughs> okay, we're on amazon.com. You just got to type in your credit card information. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can trust it. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, no, 99, such a good year. Um, so, yeah, I was like looking at this list of records, like Anima of the State came out in 99. Oh, wow, uh, yes, totally forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, Saves the Day Through Being Cool came out in 99. Like, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, un unrelated, but I think it's like Slipknot's oh, record yeah. might have come out then, or it was 98, one of those. I just remember was 99 was also huge. I think I was in sixth grade and... Uh, I remember Columbine happened that year, yeah. so yep. not not only was it like a bunch of great records were coming out, but there There's was like a lot stuff. of yeah, there was controversy with all the music. So yeah. it was like yeah, yeah. 1999, Marilyn Manson became like the enemy of the world, yeah. and yeah. yeah, so it was kind of this huge just oh yeah yeah it was well nine because 99 too that was like Woodstock 99, so there's the whole yeah. like Limp Bizkit stuff and yeah I know right. What a, what a time to be alive, man. <laughs> yeah, like 99 was actually kind of nuts. Like, not, like yeah. I, I haven't really thought about that whole year in depth like this before. And I'm like, yeah, that, uh, yeah. it's kind of yeah. kind of gnarly. I mean, it's, yeah. I'm lucky that I was like a little younger, you know, and I wasn't right. out in that world really. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. I would have just been heading into high school. Um, for So it was like pretty, pretty influential time, especially like I think like you talk about Columbine. So when Columbine happened, that would have been towards the end of my grade nine year and then going into grade 10 after that. But uh, so yeah, just like all this stuff was happening in a pretty influential time for me. But um, so. Oh, and by so the, the way, yeah, right yeah. now, my son is upstairs. I'm down in the studio. Uh, he's two and a half. So I know at any moment he's going to be done eating his lunch and he's going to try to storm <laughs> down here. So I might have a guest eventually. Yeah, that's fine. That's so fine. you'll hear all kinds of crazy stuff going on <laughs> bring them on the show aaron and i are both dads we talk about kids all the time so there you go oh, excellent. Uh, yeah yeah so um talking about like moving on in the song uh the the next core or the next verse i should say or the next act if you want to put it that way sure <laughs> uh you talk about like a like having that conversation with your mom and dad um and and just i'm immediately taken to the scene did you ever see the movie slc punk 
Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like when I mean I can't remember characters' names, but when Matthew Lillard, main guy in the movie, when he's having that conversation with his parents, um, yeah. just about how you know, I am punk rock sort of. That's all I can picture. Is, <laughs> I don't I don't know that you have a three foot mohawk going on when you're having this no. conversation, but um, it's it, again like just the whole vibe of this song kind of paints like a very visual story, which is excellently done. Oh, thank you. Yeah, like for me in in real life, the conversation wasn't hostile or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. My parents were like super, super supportive. So when I got done with high school and then I went to college for like a, a half a year, and then I already knew that I was going to be done when my brother graduated high school, and yeah. we were going to tour just as much as we could. So you know, our parents were just kind of like, "Well, you know, you have the opportunity. Uh, school can wait. Try it for a year." see how it goes so you know the whole i'm never looking back was like i know yeah. that i'm not just gonna try it for a year right. uh, I, I know that i was like this is just kind of what i'm going to do now but luckily yeah. you know i still lived under my parents roof at that time uh, <laughs> for like another couple of years yeah but yeah they you know every year though they would say well you know cool this label's interested in you like nitro records wanted to sign us and they were like okay that's, yeah they were like that's a big deal yeah, yeah, sure. Tour for another year. See how that goes. Yeah, and then yeah. Nitro didn't want to sign us anymore because uh, they <laughs> kind of they didn't become a, they weren't really a label anymore. They had to right. kind of stop making records. And my parents were just like, "Oh, well, what are you going to do now?" And we're like, "Oh, well, this smaller label wants to put out our stuff in the meantime." And they're like, "Okay, yeah. well, you know, try it for a year." And then right. after that, Fueled by Ramen became interested, and they were like, "Oh, well, yeah, do it for another." And by that point, it was like, "We get it. You guys aren't stopping." And my parents ended up moving away, you know, the whole housing crisis of 08, 09. Yeah, yeah. Uh, dad lost his job. Um, they moved down south. We wrote a record, you know, with like a lot of stuff about that, uh, ups and downsizing, yeah. the record before, good for me. Yeah, so that was like a huge uh, learning experience, being in a full-time touring band, living in Flint, Michigan, with no parental support anymore. Yeah. And luckily that happened right around the same time when things started, you know, getting busy for us. I don't want to say took right. off or got better, but right. we were so busy that it was just like, okay, we're just going to keep going, make enough money to pay the rent and just, yeah. oh, there's my little dude. <laughs> He's looking at me through the glass door. <laughs> what did he have for lunch? Oh man, I think he had some uh, vegan corn dog bites. Nice. I think he had some string cheese and... And apparently a lot of ketchup. He's got a ton of ketchup <laughs> on his face. <laughs> you got ketchup on your face, dude? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking to somebody on the phone right now. Okay. Through the microphone. <laughs> you want to say hi? Hi. Hey, Whoa. dude. <laughs> What's your name? Everson. Everson? Yeah. Nice. Why, why do you smell like poop? <laughs> Yeah, you should well, know this answer. <laughs> well, we got, you know a, we got a pooper, but yeah. <laughs> that's all good. He'll just hang out as long as he doesn't turn <laughs> these uh, compressor knobs. We should be good. There you go. Well, we, we won't toy. keep you. I won't keep you for too much longer. Um, I did want to ask when you were talking about, you know, like your parents and you, you mentioning the different labels, like how invested were they i guess in in your band like or was it just more like just through casual conversations or like they didn't really have any idea what nitro records was or fueled by ramen or anything um i think 
uh, like my dad had a lot of interest in the music business just because okay. it was, you know, exciting just to see yeah. what, uh, oh my God. Yeah. My son is walking around with a drumstick, just hitting drums throughout the <laughs> studio. <laughs> it's That's awesome. Perfect. Um, I could see him through the glass right now cause I'm in the control yeah. room. He's in the live room oh, yeah. just jamming. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, if you couldn't tell, that's what I do now. You know, I, I have a studio, yeah. I make records and stuff, but, uh, that's awesome. and apparently also stay at home dad when there's no daycare available. So yeah. yeah, we're just hanging out today, but yeah, my parents, uh, we'd be able to relate to something, you know, like, so nitro records, I was like the offspring. They're like, yeah, you have yeah. their t-shirts when you're right. younger. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that guy, he has a plane. He has a private jet that he flies. <laughs> He's made millions. He sold millions of records. That guy wants to put out a record. And, you know, and then they'd be yeah, like, yeah. oh, damn. You know, yeah, we flew okay. out to talk to him once. Uh, I had to miss one of my college exams because our plane right. got delayed. And, you know, I had to tell my teacher, she was like, there are no excuses. You cannot remake it. And I was like, I'm stuck in Los Angeles. And she's like, what? You know, so I was able to yeah. retake it. <laughs> oh, now the doggies are down here. Cool. I was I was hoping I was hoping your professor was going to say, "There's no excuses, but can you please get me a signature from Dexter?" <laughs> yeah, seriously, that yeah, might be an excuse. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think she was kind of yeah. this old like philosophy teacher. She probably had no idea if you weren't yeah. like Jean-Paul Sartre or something, she wouldn't care. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess in in the final verse, the final act of the of the song is is. Is that about someone in particular, or is it just kind of your way of closing the song, kind of? Yeah, I think it was kind of just a general story. You know, luckily yeah. in my life, you know, I'm married, I have a wonderful wife, and yeah. I am not upset that anyone got away from me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, I definitely scored big and got a wonderful right. life, but, you know, there's nothing like that whole one that got away Sure. Yeah. Story. And yeah. even if it's not the one that got away, it's just like, you know, sometimes things change and yeah. you wonder what someone in your life is up to. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just like that influential person uh, yeah. that kind of maybe showed you a thing or two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of just, I, I just wanted to end with something like yeah. that. And, you well, know, the kinda, music kind of breaks down and it gets a little sappy for a second. Yeah. And, Which, I mean, I, I absolutely love um, how, I mean, you start the song and end the song. We don't exact, but in the beginning of the song and in the end of the song, you have that line. If everyone else heard this, they wouldn't be so sad. I was like, ah, oh, isn't that, isn't that the way you feel about any like amazing song or album or artist or whatever that you hear? It's like, man, if everyone else could oh, just yeah. grasp onto this, you know, it kind of just makes things disappear for a little bit, you know? Yep. Um, it's that, you know, when you're in love, you want to tell the world that kind yeah. of thing and yeah. i mean i've i'm a super impulsive person where if i get into something or onto something or i get an idea yeah i will find the closest person and tell them all about it whether they care or not like right now i'm building guitar pedals that's like one of my new right. hobbies yeah yeah and uh you know people are buying them for me which is very cool. awesome but yeah. i'll like i'll turn to my wife and i'll just be like can you believe you could wire a resistor from pole one to pole two of this potentiometer <laughs> and it'll just act as a fixed ratio? And she's just like, I don't what? care. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, I'll, you know, so I got to find my little support system for that. But yeah, uh, yeah, you know, so it's just like when you find out about punk rock, that's, that's one of those things where you're like, I want to tell everybody about this music, but you're also like, I want to be the only one who knows sure. what this is. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we heard that about the Swellers sometimes. People will come to shows, to our shows alone. Yeah. And a lot of other bands, you know, their fans would come to shows with a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Like a, a group of friends. And our fans, I think, tended to more be loners that kept right. the music to themselves, that it meant something to them, which is really cool. It's really powerful. Yeah. Um, it's not so great for ticket sales, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was, uh, it's one of those things. Like a lot of times we would see one person at a show. They wouldn't talk to anybody. They wouldn't even talk to us. They might buy a yeah. t-shirt and leave. Yeah. And it was just like, all right, you know, so we kind of, I think we had a demographic of, the people that uh, you know our music touched, and then I think though, then there were some people who like didn't get the memo, and they thought we were like some summer party punk band, and would like right. show up, you know, with all their buddies getting wasted, and we're like, what, like what's going <laughs> on, you know? But of course, everybody and anybody was accepted at our shows, and we had like little kids, we had crazy like kind of hardcore bros that were there, yeah, and they would all kind of see each other and be like, wait, what? Like what? Yeah. Like I thought that it was all, like people like me that like this band, and right. So we kind of rode that center line. You know, you could tell from our music, like we were this much poppy, we were this much fast, we were this much, you know, whatever. So it was kind of tough for like the really punk kids to like us, and we were a little bit sweaty for the little kids to like. And yeah, so <laughs> we were kind of stuck in that middle middle realm. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I think part of that plays into just like the the sheer number of I think different influences that you can hear on like you have the ability I think to like reach people in this scene and people in this scene and people in this scene but at the same point like kind of you know some people be like oh I like that song but not so much maybe this song or you right, know you talk yeah. about yeah people coming to the show and it's like oh a, a summer party band sort of thing and it's like oh no they're going to write songs that are going to make me think and going to make me feel I don't want to feel right now you oh, know yeah. like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sort of stuff but um yeah, no, that's that's incredible. Like you guys kind of had a sound and a feel that was there's there's a few bands I think that that you kind of fit in with, but um, all in all, yeah, it was definitely a bit a bit of a different place, but one that I think has a lot of staying power at the same time. Oh well, thank you, appreciate that. So I just wanted to say like one thing before we kind of wrap up, and, and, it, and maybe it's just me looking into things, but I find it kind of funny and maybe a little bit ironic that you go on the album Good For Me from the track The Best I Ever Had to a song called Better Things where you're talking about moving on to better things. Um, so I kind of like look at it going, it's great to like reflect on the past. I don't know if you intentionally connected these songs, but like to look back on the past and, and, you know, feel very warm and, and nostalgic and, and a lot of love for that time, but also to not get stuck in it, which is what I find kind of funny about the song The Best I Ever Had, because it's really easy to get stuck in it. And oh, then you're like, sure. but, hold, but hold on, friends, we're going to move on. You know, we, there's bigger and better things still to come, which um, I think is great, because then in 10 years, you could write another The Best I Ever Had, and it would be an, about an entirely different set of circumstances and just continuing the story. Yeah, um, I think that was unintentional how it went from one to the other. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely, you know, it has that sentiment for sure. You know, like yeah. that, that that is the message. Um, yeah, it's kind of strange that it ended up being one after another. <laughs> but yeah, we kind of joke around about that song because we sort of wrote it and we laughed and we're like, oh my God, it sounds like an iPhone commercial, like that <laughs> little guitar riff. And then our label was super into that song they right. were like right that demo that's the one like that's the single 
Let's get that chorus mm. real beefy. Put it on the record. Yeah. Let's do something with it. So for like, you know, the big shots at the label to be like this, yep, this one. Yeah. We were like, oh. And we, you know, we didn't love the song. We were proud of it because it sounds good and it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially recording it was fun. Uh, sounds real big. Almost like this beefed up Everclear song or something or like right, a newer right. Weezer song. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, we put it out and the label's like, cool, best I ever had should be the single. And we were like, oh, cool. We like that song a lot more. So that's, that's yeah. great. And then yeah. we were like, hey, so what about that? Uh, what about that Better Things song? And they were like, you, uh, yeah, how about that Best I Ever Had song? And we were like, <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. And, you know, and that was probably the last time we really talked to the label about anything right. involving, you know, our band. And yeah. uh, we were kind of just, we weren't shelved. You know, the record was out, but. Yeah. We just weren't really a priority, and sure. that's when we uh, asked. We actually asked to leave the label, which okay. you know you don't really. I, I guess smaller bands don't really do that. Yeah. Uh, so they were like, "Wait, what?" You know. So a lot of people thought that we got dropped by the label, but we were like, "No, no, we had one more record." But we were like, "Yeah, okay, we're good." You know, we. Yeah. Which, in hindsight, I kind of wish we would have stayed. You know, it, right. it would have been if they would have even had us. I don't know. Yeah. But. We were just so, I think we thought our band was bigger and had more clout than we did just because we were doing so much big stuff all the time. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then once we were on our own, we were like, oh, yeah, this is a lot of work. This is really yeah. hard. Yeah. Well, man, that's that's all I got. I thought it would be fun to kind of talk. Spe- I don't do this very often, talk specifically about one song. So I thought, well, yeah, it was cool, man. Thanks, uh, thanks yeah. for calling me up. I appreciate you taking the time yeah. out of your day to do it. I'm just hoping uh, my son's not like smearing his poop around my house well, right now. <laughs> I just somewhere. have a feeling that's, that's yeah. probably going to Superman isn't brave. Did you take your pill this morning? (laughs) You don't understand. Superman is indestructible. And you can't be brave if you're indestructible.